Welcome back to the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, soccer editor here at Homestand Sports. This week's show is going to be a little bit more MLS heavy as things are starting to wind down in Europe and heat up on this side of the globe. That means, yes, we are going to have to talk about VAR, something I'm definitely not looking forward to, but uh, has been a big factor, especially for Toronto FC of late. I will also talk about the top team in Canada right now, the Vancouver Whitecaps, a bit of El Clasico, and finally, our crazy soccer story of the week. Joining me to do all of that is Dan Riccio from Sportsnet 650 out in Vancouver. Uh, Dan and I used to cover Toronto FC together before he made the move out west. Uh, decision I don't imagine that you regret Dan especially considering the winter we've had this year in Toronto uh yeah I gotta say the uh the weather out west is uh pretty welcoming although you know if you can deal with uh 20 plus straight days of rain then yeah the west coast is for you during the winter so far uh the summer weather's been pretty good too yeah, fair enough. Um, let's roll back the years a little bit and get started with Toronto FC. Dan, I used to host the uh, very popular Toronto FC Pitchside podcast, uh, so he knows a thing or two about this club. Um, the Reds last night falling 2-1 to one to the Seattle Sounders. They sit 10th in the Eastern Conference, which I don't think is something I expected to say at any point in this season. And Honestly, this was the first result for me that uh, was a little concerning. Everything else you could kind of chalk up to um, fatigue, and obviously they're still dealing with a tons of, ton of injuries, but so is Seattle. Seattle hasn't had a great start to the season. Their year was also derailed by their Champions League campaign a little bit, and they didn't have Rodriguez last night in the starting lineup, no Leardam in the starting lineup, no Ladero, no Dempsey. Um, so this was a team that was very much there for the taking for Toronto FC, um, and they couldn't get it done. Yeah, and, you know, you don't want to drop these points at home because you start playing the numbers game a little bit in your head. And TFC, well, I mean, not just TFC, but in Major League Soccer, you tend to need about 50 points to get into the playoffs. And, Hmm. I mean, now you start doing the math in your head. TFC have 26 games to go. And they are way off of that 50-point mark, yeah. uh, still just at seven for the year. So you're looking at going at about a two-point pace or just a little bit under that. And, and that's essentially what they did all of last year in their historic run towards uh, the treble. So it's, um, it's a tall task that they're starting to set ahead for themselves. And it's, it's more so the, the home games. You know, you just you can't, um, you can't be dribbling away those points at home when you really need to start collecting results as you look towards just getting into the playoffs at this point. Yeah, you mentioned those those home games. Toronto have already dropped two games at home um, in terms of losses, and that's something that they didn't do all of last season. They only lost that one game at home to the Montreal Impact, so it's so important in MLS that you do win your home games because even the best MLS sides are you know, close to 500 on the road. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's when you, when you break down the numbers, um, you, you have to at least be 
I mean, if you're going to make the playoffs in MLS, you don't have to have a great road record. You know, there's teams all over the league. You look, uh, I think Houston had one win on the road last year. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you don't, and, and they still made the playoffs and they uh, went to the Western Conference Finals. So you don't have to collect a ton of results on the road. The better teams will, but at home to already have dropped points in three games, that's concerning. And I know TFC has had CONCACAF Champions League, and there's, uh, they've had a focus on that early in the season, but that's always come with the caveat of, all right, you're going to have to start collecting results once that's over. And uh, right now TFC is um, not in a good place. You know, with the injuries that have piled up for them, uh, you, you can't – you can't take anything for granted anymore. As much as this is, yes, the best team in Major League Soccer, and I still believe that, um, it, the results are, need to start coming, and they need to start coming uh, fast and furious as the matches will be. And it's hard to see that being all that easy with all the injuries TFC is currently carrying. I teased this off the top, but um, and uh, as I said, it's not something that I really want to discuss considering how much I've had to talk about it over the past few weeks with how much it's factored in with Toronto FC, but uh, the VAR discussion um, continues with Toronto after the game last night. Greg Vanny comes into the press conference and kind of has his uh, pet key papers moment, if you want uh, to consider it that. That's that's how he referred it to. He uh, pulled out his phone and showed the media a photo of Henry Wallabuana with his uh, second goal there, um, which he looked to be in an offside position, that being the the winning goal for the Seattle Sounders. He called it inexplicable that that goal didn't get called back. And this is the second time in the past few weeks that Greg Vanny has kind of gone off on VAR. Um, The Chicago draw was the other one where there was you know, a handful of VAR calls that, um, you know, look to go different from what the video said. And it was quite confusing. Um, Dan, uh, where do you side on this VAR discussion? And um, also, do you think maybe Greg Vanny might be um, trying to distract everyone a little bit considering where Toronto FC are in the standings? I think Vanny has a point here in that VAR is, is supposed to, get more calls right and I don't think yeah. it's this has been a problem solely with Toronto obviously uh, given where they were in the standings last year and the records that they set uh, when it happens to TFC it might make more noise than it would mm-hmm. elsewhere in Major League Soccer and so I was a proponent of VAR and I want more calls to be right and I want less uh, gray area in the game But if referees are not going to use this tool to get more calls correct or to at least look at situations that could be uh, that there could have been an error made, which this was one, it's a big problem. And I've had this discussion here in Vancouver as well. There was a Kendall Watson red card earlier in the year against Atlanta that was, um, I thought, a a terrible call that was. Uh, VAR was used to give out the red card. And later that week, the red card was rescinded. So I think it, you know, it it, kind of keeps on going with the ongoing discussion of MLS referees just aren't good enough. And in a weird way, VAR is, is kind of 
pointing it out even more because it seems like with the more VAR situations that we have, there's more controversy that's coming up. Whether, uh, you know, like the situation in Vancouver earlier this year, a red card is, is handed out when it shouldn't have been, or a referee's not taking the time to at least see if the decision on the field was correct in the situation that we saw in Toronto the last couple of weeks. It's, it's just provided more controversy than settlement. And I think that's the issue right now. And that's part of the, the kinks that have to be worked out here in the first year of uh, video assistant referee. One of the things that confuses me as well, and I don't know if you're getting the same uh, kind of discussion from Vancouver Whitecaps players, but Toronto FC players, and it, you know, it's been around for a little while now and they've tried to explain it to them. Um, Toronto FC players don't seem to fully understand when it's going to be used, uh, how it's being used. Uh, even Michael Bradley, who you know is the captain of Toronto FC, and they've sat down all these players, they've had discussions with them um, about these programs and uh, what they're going to do. And Michael Bradley, you know, said after the Chicago game, he he doesn't fully understand uh, how VAR works. And this is a player who's really a student of the game and one of the, you know, one of the, I would consider most knowledgeable players in the league and a player who completely devotes himself to the game. So the fact that he doesn't fully understand um, VAR kind of makes me wonder if there's a bit of a disconnect in the communication because you'd think this isn't just him being ignorant. This is, you know, something that they aren't explaining very well. Yeah, and it's, you know, they, they try, it seemed black and white when they came out with the rules, right? Yeah. Uh, like uh, red card situations, uh, goals, and uh, mistaken identity. Don't, aren't those the three situations that VAR will, will look at? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's terrible in the sense that it seems so simple, and yet there is, somewhere along the way, a disconnect uh, between all parties. And part of the problem is every decision is so big, and and it's supposed to just be for the game-deciding moments or those game-altering moments, like goals, penalties, offsides, red cards. And I would prefer to see, because it's all happening in real time, it's getting reviewed in the booth, so I want to see more of the referees taking charge and saying, I want to make sure I got this call right. Mm. And maybe not uh, like we, we keep seeing the referee sticking to what he saw in the field and not using the video as an aid to him. I think it's still in this area where the referee is saying to himself, okay, I made this call and, and I'm sticking to it. Whereas it should be, I have this tool now to try and get a call right or make sure I got a call right, and that's what it matters most, and yet they're not using it all the time. And I think that's all of a sudden where all of this uh, mess comes in because you know, anytime you have a decision go against you, you feel like you're so hard done by, and that's why there's such an uproar because there's this tool now here to make sure we're getting things right, and yet it doesn't seem like we're using it to the full ability that we can. And that, I think, is why you have so much, um, you know, so much distaste for it amongst players and coaches right now is just that 
the the referees are using their own discretion to as to when to use it, and it doesn't always translate to the way that players and coaches would hope. It's pretty funny that clear and obvious, um, which is the ruling on the AR, has become the least clear and obvious thing um, <laughs> in the league right now. <laughs> well, what um, is clear and obvious, right? Exactly, which is hilarious when you say it out loud. Um uh, let's move on from the VAR discussion to, um, I guess, more what has been ailing the Reds uh, in their control um, in some ways. They've they've been missing just about every center back uh, for the past couple of games. And um, there was a bit of excitement at first because Michael Bradley and Greg Vanderveel as a center back pairing, on the offensive side at least, that presents opportunities where they can carry the ball forward, they can play balls from the back. And um, it's a different look. I know um, one Toronto FC reporter was talking to me and we were kind of we were kind of joking that, oh, uh, Greg Vanny's reinvented the wheel. You don't need center backs to, to win in this league. But uh, last night, was it's pretty clear you do because Michael Bradley kind of um he he still goes on the hunt sometimes and that's a bit of an issue when you need your center back to be in position and that's certainly what happened on the Will Bruin goal so um how much of an issue has this been for Toronto FC that they don't have um you know a a first choice center back in the lineup and um they've been leaking goals in a way that we haven't seen them do for uh years I think it's a big problem in that you know Michael Bradley's best position is just in front of the defense, you know, being that first, that kind of first line of defense and also being able to be that guy who can start moves forward. Now you're asking him to be a lot of things at once, once he's into a center back role. And I think it, it limits his, his value to a certain extent on the field for Toronto FC as much as, you know, we can all dream and, and think that, Oh, this is, this could be great. Like in theory, it, it might work, but in practice, it's uh, going to have some growing pains. And like we were saying earlier, uh, when you start to do the math on how TFC gets into the playoffs here and the, the fixtures and the, the, the mathematics of it all aren't, aren't going to add up very well for TFC. If they're, uh, they don't start going on a positive run I think the growing pains of having to makeshift your squad, makeshift your tactics with all these injuries is definitely part of the reason TFC is struggling. And that's not to put it on Michael Bradley or Greg Vanderveel. It's just the reality of the situation. Um, you cannot – TFC is in their best form, is, is at their best when Michael Bradley is sitting just in front of the defense he is that first line of defense. He is the destroyer. He creates turnovers in midfield and gets the ball moving quickly forward. Uh, I think he can't do that to his full ability when he is playing in that center back role. And that's, that's the worry for me for TFC is how they, how they deal with these growing pains as they try to uh, makeshift their roster due to the, the vast amount of injuries they've had. I think it only makes sense to end this Toronto FC discussion on another uh, bit of injury news, that being Josie Altidore will be out four to six weeks after undergoing foot surgery. And um, we've mentioned all of the injuries going on right now. Adding this on top of that certainly doesn't seem to help at all, considering uh, especially the fact that Jordan Hamilton and Toe St. Ricketts and some of the other uh, striker options for Toronto FC haven't had a great season. And uh, last night was another example. Toronto FC aren't finishing their chances very well right now. So uh, with Josie Alcidor, the best finisher on Toronto FC out, 
maybe arguably other than Sebastian Javinko, that's that's really not looking good for the Reds either. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, no disrespect to, to Saint and, and Jordan Hamilton, but they're showing their Canadian colors pretty proudly right now <laughs> with their with their lack of uh, their lack of finish. So. Uh, all kidding aside, I mean Josie has been like I don't I don't understand how Josie Altador still has detractors, and maybe they are mostly outside of Toronto. But the guy has scored in, in essentially all of the big games TFC has played mm. in recent memory, and with Sebastian Javinko being a different player or being utilized in a different way than he may have been when he first got to Toronto FC. I think that makes Altidore's presence that much more uh, imperative to TFC reaching their full height, to reaching their ceiling, as we saw them do during last season. I think they'll be fine. They'll be able to make through what is a difficult injury period, but um you have to allow some time for Toussaint and for Jordan Hamilton to maybe get comfortable. And with the way they're playing right now, with Javinko in that kind of false nine type of type of role, he has not been as goal dangerous, I guess, in a way than, than we had seen him in the past. Uh, but he is still facilitating so much. And, and maybe it's just, Eventually, things will start to find the back of the net. Uh, I think Seba only has uh, the one MLS goal this year, but he's he's averaging uh, around six shots per game. So it's <laughs> it's not for lack of try on Javinko's end that uh, that that he's not been able to score a ton. But it's um, it's just tough as as you see again the results not going the way they need to, and the goals not going in the way that they should, and you're looking towards Javinko with all these other injuries to be that talismanic player. And he has been, especially in CCL, but now in Major League Soccer, uh, TFC need those results to start going their way as well. There was a moment last night where Sebastian Javinko played in what looked to be a great cross to Jordan Hamilton and uh, Ashton Morgan was there as well and they both just kind of backed off it and Seba just kicked the advertising board and you can tell that he's pretty frustrated right now. Um, So, as, as we move off Toronto FC, um, not great news there this past week. But um, let's move to, on to the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, they are the top team in Canada right now in terms of their spot in the standing. Third in the West. But uh, when I tune into Vancouver Whitecaps games, I, I'm never really sure which Vancouver side I'm I'm going to watch. Because some weeks they, they look pretty solid and um, all of their offensive talents work together to to you know um, dominate matches and then I'll, I'll tune in other times and it's 6-0 for the opposing team so um, <laughs> what, what, have, what have you made up or made of the the white caps so far this year Dan? I'd say that uh, this is a team that's uh, had a lucky string of results early on and uh, these last five matches the results have maybe gone the way that they should have earlier on in the year it's uh, pretty harsh <laughs> but um I, I'm not in a believer what the Whitecaps are selling right now. I think there's there's a good mixture of players here, but um, there's a lot still to be desired. And their only hope right now, or uh, I shouldn't say their only hope, but what is kind of saving the squad so far this season is that the Western Conference in Major League Soccer is 
uh, just a big pile of poop, uh, for lack of a better term. There's, there's nobody that's, that's really shown up to say, uh, this is our conference. Sporting KC has been off to a good start, but they've, mm. they've got some of their own issues. LAFC has been really, really good. But again, as we get into the dog days of summer, uh, the, the depth is going to get called into question for that club. You look at some of the other squads, Portland, Seattle, haven't really um, been the squads that you expect them to be. And certainly uh, the LA Galaxy are still trying to figure out what they are after the uh, inclusion of uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic to that squad. I I don't know what to expect from the Whitecaps. You know, and, and in a way, it's it, they are the most frustrating team in MLS because Everybody can see right now, especially in this city, that there is an opening here in the Western Conference, mm. and there's a feeling that ownership hasn't um, really provided enough resources to this team to put them over the top. And I think that's essentially where the frustration lies between the fan base and the club right now. And it's really started to show in the results and the way that the team is playing. And I think it's it's kind of that confirmation bias that's really starting to, to you watch the Whitecaps and you see their issues and, and you're kind of saying, yep, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And that's, that's kind of where everything stands right now with Vancouver. And, you know, you mentioned the resources. This is a team that did bring in a lot of players. Obviously, uh, they're not exactly marquee names, some of them, but, uh, you know, you've got Blondell and Kamara up front, Juarez, Aja, much on loan, and then Felipe as well. Um, what have you made of these new signings for the Whitecaps? And, um, you know, are there any of them that have stood out either positively or even in a negative light so far? Yeah, I will say, you know, I, I kind of felt towards the end of last year that the Whitecaps were starting to build a bit of a core, you know, and they could start to build around that. And then obviously Freddie Montero leaves and, and things change wildly. And there's so many new faces, but it almost feels like the faces change, uh, but the results are kind of the same with this club. So it, it almost it doesn't even matter who, who kind of comes in. You're going to end up with the same kind of results. And again, that feeds into the frustration. As far as uh, those that have come in, I've liked what I've seen from Kai Kamara, though, you know, the team showed an over-reliance on what he brings early on in the year. And since Mm -hmm. he's been out for the last couple of matches, it's really been a a struggle to score any kind of goals and and create some chances. Blondell has uh, shown a lot of raw tools. I I think there's there's something there, but he just hasn't had the finish in front of goal. All the other signings um, have been a have been a disappointment. Uh, there's there's no denying that Jordan Much hasn't been able to stay on the field, and Efren Juarez, uh, who came over from Liga MX, is uh, he's he's been a disaster. Like to be quite <laughs> frank, you know, he just he hasn't been good, and and the Whitecaps uh, have an issue there in midfield, and. Uh, he hasn't been able to provide anything uh, of too much value so far this season. Felipe, I think he is who he is. We we kind of know he's a pretty decent ball distributor in midfield, and he's going to get the odd red card as well and, and do some kind of <laughs> dumb things uh, as one of the dirtiest players in MLS. Uh, but with Felipe, I think more is, is about the loss of Tim Parker in that trade. Now, it was kind of forced out by Parker, hmm. but that – 
the Whitecaps haven't haven't found a, a strong center back pair for Kendall Waston yet this season, and that's been part of their big issues defensively as well. So in the overall, uh, their their winter transfer window has has not been a positive one. If you look at it on the grand scheme of who's brought value, it's probably only a couple of those guys. Speaking of things that aren't positive, uh, I know the opinions I've been getting out of Vancouver, especially among Vancouver fans of Carl Robinson, haven't been that great of late. Um, He seems to make some weird tactical decisions uh, every once in a while when I tune in. I know the the playing of, uh, you know, one of the best uh, attacking players on the team who we'll talk about a bit later in Alfonso Davies at left back hasn't exactly been the most popular move, uh, certainly in Canadian soccer circles. Um, What's the... uh, What's the opinion like of of Carl Robinson right now uh, as this team, you know, like you said, continues to to bring in different players, but the results seem to be about the same? I think uh, the fan base is is getting to a point where um, they are, they've turned on Robbo and Mm -hmm. it's uh, partially, I don't blame Robbo fully, you know, I mean, ownership has only given him so much. And he's created an identity on this team. He's created a style of play that he thinks is best to get results on a weekly basis. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, he's right. You know, they they were the best road team in MLS last year, and that really aided in their top three finish in the Western Conference. But people don't want to see the park the bus type of mentality every time the Whitecaps go on the road. And it's, it's something where Robbo has found uh, a style that has a high floor to get enough results that you, you can squeak into the playoffs and maybe do something special, find lightning in a bottle once you get there. But I think people have, have turned on Robbo because they don't see what the ceiling is. Now, and when you look around Major League Soccer, if you look at Seattle's success and Toronto's success and New York City FC and the, and the Red Bulls and they're all teams that have some attacking verb to them. And I think that lacks here in Vancouver and it's lacked under Carl Robinson. And so that's where uh, people have really started to turn on Robbo. They've gotten to the point where it's not just about the results, which haven't been horrible uh, in the grand scheme of things, especially over the last couple of seasons and, and going into early this year. But it has been frustrating in the sense it's not enjoyable to watch all the time. Mm. And people don't believe in it as a way to actually get towards an MLS Cup championship. So if something doesn't change in that sense, I think um, the writing might be on the wall for Carl Robinson by the end of this season if things uh, don't change either in the style of play or or fans continue to see that that there isn't much of a a ceiling on the way the style the types of players that this team is bringing in under Carl Robinson. You mentioned that the Whitecaps might be overachieving this season a little bit, and the numbers would certainly uh, indicate that. One of when I was looking at the Vancouver Whitecaps, one of the numbers that absolutely jumped off the page for me was their possession metrics and the fact that they only have forty point nine percent of the ball during games this season. Um, and you mentioned the the defensive style that we play or that they they like to play. Um, you know, why has it been such a problem for the Whitecaps uh, in terms of possessing the ball this season? 
well, they don't, they don't want it, you know, like, um, it, it's, it, it is definitely who they are, you know, and, and I think Robbo has, has gotten to the point where like, it's, it's now worked for the better part of 12 months, especially on the road. And it's like, well, why, why, why change what isn't broken, you know? And, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mantra. And that's, that's where this has kind of gotten uh, out of control because, you just can't expect to score a ton of goals when you're averaging 40% possession. Like, you know, the teams just don't do that. You, you can't be that low in terms of possession. You can't be averaging as few shots as the white caps do and expect to score a ton of goals and be in a lot of matches. And I think that's what we've seen over the last five weeks or so, less so last week against Minnesota when they were up a, up a man and um, they just couldn't find the back of the net and they probably uh, deserve to get a goal or two, but you know, that's kind of the style that they usually employ themselves, you know, to get one or two shots and make the most of it. Um, and, and, and hope just to bunker in and, and, and get the best result you can. Uh, so they can't gripe too much because that's usually the style that they employ. Um, it's, it's the way that they play, and I again, it just speaks into this greater conversation about the Whitecaps and just what is the ceiling of this team and the way that they currently play, and it's not very high because you can't expect results to keep going your way when you have so little of the ball, you're taking so few shots. At the end of the day, being strong defensively is fine, but you have to score more than the other team in order to win games, and I don't see how the Whitecaps do that if they continue playing the way that they are. On the positive side of things, Alfonso Davies uh, is one of the reasons I continue to like to tune into Whitecaps games. Uh, you mentioned a little earlier in the show uh, Jordan Hamilton and Toe St. Ricketts showing their Canadian colors. Uh, Alfonso Davies seems to have buried his Canadian colors deep within in the best way possible. Um, he's a player that you know can dribble past just about anyone in MLS. Um, he you know he's he's starting to put up uh, goals and assists as well, which is or I guess a goal and assists, um, which is uh, impressive as well. Um, I I've certainly liked what I've seen from Alfonso Davies this season in terms of his development. Um, what have you made of him so far this year? He's been really really good, and I think the. I mean, I'll ask you this: uh, if I were to just say to you, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's a team in Major League Soccer that relies a ton on a 17-year-old player. <laughs> what would you say to that? Yeah, that's that's not good. <laughs> you know, like that. Even if it's this 17-year-old. Yeah. So as much of a positive as Alfonso Davies is, uh, it's like why why are we relying so much on this 17-year-old, and how much pressure are we okay with putting on this kid? He's electric, man. I mean, he dribbles by everybody he is so fast he creates so much offense their last win uh, a couple of weeks back at bc place against real salt lake uh, you know the team was was punchless until davies was substituted in after the 60th minute uh, i mean it, it's it's a it's a scary thought that this team relies so much on Alfonso Davies right now. As good as he is, and we can be excited about him uh, from a Canadian perspective for sure, and, and, and a lot of Whitecaps fans are certainly excited about him. But again, um, it's it, it, there's a lot of relying on this one kid 
And I don't know if that's the that 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 can result in in a, in a great thing for him, especially when you know the how much longer is he here in MLS? I, I have to imagine yeah. he is heading to Europe at some point. He is that damn good at his young age, and uh, I guess you enjoy it while it's here um, and and enjoy watching this young player flourish because he is he is something to behold. But uh, at the same time, it does uh, raise questions in the grand scheme of things about the Vancouver Whitecaps. I still love the story where uh, Alfonso Davies was or couldn't be awarded the Man of the Watch Award because it was sponsored by a beer company and he's not an old, old enough to drink, uh, <laughs> which is just hilarious. Um, before we finish up with the Whitecaps, there is another Canadian who uh, has been impressing lately with the Whitecaps, and that's Brett Levis, um, you know, another fullback who's come in and seems to actually be fitting in quite well with Davies. Uh, what, what have you made of Levis so far um, coming into this side and uh, doing a pretty good job? You know, he's, uh, he's been impressive, obviously, coming off a, a big-time injury. Um, mm-hmm. There is uh, was concern as to what he finds uh, kind of what was uh, getting people excited about him prior to that injury, but he's, he's looked good and he's been one of their better players in the two, of, if not one of the best players in there in the two appearances that he's made. I, th- I like that. He's, you know, he's, he's fine. He's finding players um, and creating shots for the team. He's, he's averaging two key passes uh, so far in these two matches that he's played. Uh, he's, dribbled by some some opponents as well you know he's got something there and the Whitecaps desperately need to find more creativity in their midfield because as long as they want to play in the style that they do like to play in which is very much so on the counterattack, they need more midfielders that can quickly pick out that one pass that can set an offense into a break, you know, and, and I think that's kind of what's lacked here the last couple of weeks. We've seen it from Felipe once in a while, but outside of that, um, this midfield has really lacked that kind of an element, and there's hope somewhat that, that Brett Levi's can be that. And let's move on to our games of the week. Uh, regular guest Josh Clokey would be pretty happy about my pick for game of the week because it's coming out of the Bundesliga on the final week of their season. Uh, it's Borussia Dortmund against Hoffenheim. Uh, and all year, the race at, at the top of the Bundesliga has been very interesting. Obviously, not at the top top because Bayern has had this wrapped up since pretty much October. Um, <laughs> but for the other Champions League spots, it's been quite a race. And uh, this clash between Dortmund and Hoffenheim, who are in third and uh, fourth place respectively at the moment, uh, will will basically decide the final two Champions League spots. Dortmund's on 55 points, so unless they lose by a couple of goals, they get a spot. But Hoffenheim, um, they're tied with Leverkusen and Leipzig's right there. Um, so it, it's a huge game for them. Uh, Dan, do you have a game of the week? Yeah, I got uh, my boys, Roma versus uh, Juventus. and I'm still still a little bit hurt by what happened in uh, in the Champions League with Juventus, <laughs> but... Um, We'll not we'll not cry over uh, spilled milk too much. Um, it's uh, it's a big game, you know. Uh, Juventus needs a point to clinch a record seventh straight Serie A title. It looked in doubt a couple of weeks ago uh, when they were trailing against Inter Milan, but uh, miraculously came back and won that game. And uh, results have gone badly for Napoli in recent weeks, so Juventus is uh, more than likely going to lift yet another. 
Serie A trophy. And for Roma, it's a big game because uh, one point or uh, getting a win actually uh, clinches their berth into the Champions League after they had the semifinal appearance this season. So it's a big game on both sides, and and we could see a Serie A champion crown this weekend. Another big game that happened this past week was, of course, the El Clasico. It was dubbed the decaffeinated El Clasico because there was nothing on the line. Uh, Barcelona had already lifted the trophy. Real Madrid, they're looking ahead to the Champions League final. But it turned out to be quite the match uh, in the end. 2-2, a couple of nasty challenges, a red card, obviously, a couple of fantastic goals, and a very entertaining El Clasico, arguably the best of the season, even though it, it didn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things yeah it always means something though right like that's why we love el clasico i mean it's it's just a rivalry in the truest sense of the word the fans uh, hate each other the teams the players um you know the cores of those teams have been together for a couple of years now so um, there's a lot of uh history there between all these guys and that's why uh, like how many yellow cards were there? Like I think every Real Madrid defender had a yellow card in the game. <laughs> I mean, it just it, it speaks to, um, you know, as a fan when you see when you can feel that type of intensity, that type of hatred between a couple of teams. That's what brings you in. Like I, I think it for me it doesn't even matter the sport, but when I can sort of feel that intensity coming through my television set. As I'm watching, I I can get down for that. And I think that's why every time El Clasico comes on, not just the star power, uh, not just the history of the teams, but um, the rivalry, the legitimate hatred, it seems, between the players uh, can always draw in viewers. And that's even though there was nothing on the line, we still got that in the in this past version. I just Googled it. Between the two teams, there were nine yellows and a red. So uh, <laughs> absolutely, the the referee, his arm must have been tired from pulling out so many cards. And honestly, he could have given more considering um, what happened in that match. Um, let's talk about Barcelona quickly. Uh, they followed up this this El Clasico win with a dominant 5-1 win over Villarreal. Uh, they have two games remaining on their quest to go unbeaten against Levant and uh, Real Sociedad. Um, do you think they'll pull this off? I think the I think it's safe to say the the truly hard results are are behind them. Um, and how impressive would this be, considering they'd be the first club to do this in um, you know. Uh, La Liga season that's more than 18 games. It's damn impressive. I mean, um, I, I don't know if we'll, we'll ever see it again in the Premier League after Arsenal did it uh, a few years back, but what Manchester City did this year was was also uh, pretty pretty impressive. But to, to go an entire year when you have a couple of games against some of Europe's best teams in Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, that's four games, you know, and, and to not lose any one of those is impressive in its own right. And then to not drop anything while you're playing through the Champions League and everything else that goes on in a Barcelona season, um, it's, it's really cool. And, and you're only going to get so many of these types of record-breaking type moments mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, the world game. And I know Juventus did it a couple of years ago. They did it with a ton of uh, draws in that season. And they didn't even lock up the, the Serie A title until late on. I think it was Antonio Conte's first year as coach there. And, it, you know, for Barcelona to do it 
Uh, you had nine draws only. It's, it's such an incredible feat if they can uh, close it out strong here over the next couple of weeks. Let's touch finally on the Canadian Premier League very quickly. Um, at the annual meeting of members uh, in Yellowknife, there were four teams approved, uh, obviously on top of Hamilton and Winnipeg already coming in. Those are uh, Halifax, Calgary, York Region, and Port City. Um, out west, uh, what, what's, what's the talk about the Canadian Premier League now that uh, it seems like they're going to have a team in the, in the opening season? It's, uh, it's been quiet. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I still think it's, it's not generating uh, the type of buzz uh, that you would hope it would as a Canadian soccer fan. Mm. Um, you hope as it gets closer, there is more of that. It is a little bit out of the downtown core uh, of Vancouver, um, where it's uh, slated to play down in the, the Surrey region. But I will say that like that might not be the worst thing. Um, I think Surrey is uh, about as populated as uh, the, the, the main Vancouver area is with mm. just over 600,000 people. And Surrey actually projects to have more people in the coming years uh, than act, the actual downtown core of Vancouver, just because of the real estate market and just how absolutely bonkers it is here. <laughs> um, my bank account surely knows that, but um, it, it's 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 kind of cool in the sense that there is that level of of population there. So maybe they can build something in that. It, it's away from the Whitecaps. You can build your own kind of thing, and I think that's kind of what we see in in all of these areas. Um, certainly in the York region area, um, it's going to be something that they try to build as separate from Toronto FC as, as more of a York region type of thing and not maybe a greater Toronto area thing. So I, I feel like that's part of the, the Canadian Premier League's mantra here early on is, is, uh, to, to build it in some of, uh, these smaller, but still big areas. Um, at least in, in those bigger cities of Vancouver and Toronto. And, and I think that's, as it gets closer, you have to market it right and see how you can build some buzz around it because it's going to be a struggle early on for the Canadian Premier League. Let's finish up with our crazy soccer story of the week. Uh, this week it comes out of England where the promotion relegation battle, as it is elsewhere in the world, is in full swing. Um, Bolton, they, they avoided relegation in a dramatic comeback win over Nottingham Forest. And uh, during the celebrations, 29-year-old defender Mark Little, he tossed his jacket into the crowd in excitement. It's something you see, um, you know, with, with kits and gloves and uh, just about everything after big wins. The only problem, of course, is that he uh, had his wallet and his wedding ring in the jacket pocket. Um, but after posting on social media, he was able to recover uh, his belongings and uh, it all ended pretty well. Um, you know, it's just a hilarious story out of England, Dan. Um, I, I don't know. Like, if I'm his better half, I'm wondering, why was your wedding ring in your jacket while you were out partying and not yeah. on your finger? Like, <laughs> I, if I was him, I, I don't know if I would be... Um, you know, too eager to be uh, advertising that I took my wedding ring on as we went out for a big old party. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, so this this story might uh, this story might not be over. Um, yeah, but uh, that does bring us to the end of the tenth edition of the Footy Talks podcast. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining me this week. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mitch. No problem. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening and continuing to support the show. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed meeting a lot of you at the Footy Talks live event this past Thursday. It was a great event. Uh, The audio for all three of our panels is now up on the website. So uh, make sure to check all of those out and have a great week, everyone.